Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 228 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. It's a bonus Saturday episode. Bonus Saturday. Clap, 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 clap. Um, yeah. Reason being, uh, we got a email from Simon and Schuster that were like, hey, you guys want to interview Jessica Knoll? And I said, yes, please. I said, yeah, I was queen. Um, Jessica Knoll has a new book out this week. This past well, for Tuesday. those who maybe don't, she wrote The Luckiest Girl Alive. I was going to get to that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. She, so Jessica Knoll wrote The Luckiest Do Girl Alive. Do I start alive. over again? No, we're good. We're just power through. Uh, she wrote The Luckiest Girl Alive. It sold like a half million copies. That was her debut novel. She's a wonderful person. Um, and then she had a new book come out this week called The Favorite Sister. And if you subscribe to our Trending Titles newsletter, it's prominently featured there, uh, as is this podcast. So um, didn't want to just sit on this episode for a couple weeks because we have several Mondays already planned out. So you're getting a bonus Saturday. Yay! Uh, I got to talk with her for about a half hour. It was I felt really bad. The day we're recording this uh, is Wednesday. And yesterday was her pub day. And like if you follow her on Instagram stuff, she was out and about doing events all evening. So... We discussed the book in the morning, and she was a wonderful sweetheart. Like, being an awesome person, taking one for the team. She's like, if I sound like I'm very tired, I'm not hungover or anything, <laughs> I'm just very sleepy. So, I appreciate I'm it. I'm so but, excited for this one. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica, for battling through. You're awesome. Um, not going to keep uh, people waiting too long, but if they want to get a hold of us, if they have thoughts and comments, where can they find us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds, and you can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds overdrive.com or visit our website professional book uh, our visit our website professionalbooknerds.com yes i'm having You're issues so this close morning. you got you got through all of that other than very, like very the nice. the addition of the website is totally tripping me up it's, because I i've been yeah had like my thing uh-huh. i had my thing and just a little spoiler for an upcoming episode like a quick preview for you guys uh jessica talks about a book about a very, very big author that Jill interviewed who will be on in, I think, a little over a week from today. So I believe that is correct. Yeah. So wheels within wheels. <laughs> um, anything else you think people should know about? No. Okay. All right, guys. I'm still giddy because I just got off the phone with Jessica, and I hope that comes through in all my excitement here. You guys are really going to love this. I loved it. Go borrow her books and first enjoy this episode with Jessica Knoll on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and I cannot tell you how excited I am today to be joined by Jessica Knoll, whose debut novel, Luckiest Girl Alive, took the book world by storm, selling over half a million copies on its way to becoming a worldwide sensation. And she's following that up with her debut, the, uh, I'm sorry, she's following up her debut with The Favorite Sister, which just came out from our friends at Simon & Schuster. We're actually recording this the day after her pub day. So first off, Jessica, congratulations. Thank you so much. And I told you before we, we started recording, I felt really bad because had I realized that, I would not have scheduled an interview for you the day after you were running around like crazy. So thanks for being a team <laughs> player for me. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. And yeah, I as I explained, if my voice sounds a little haggard, it's not because I'm hungover. I'm just way too wired to sleep right now. So I have the not, not been 
sleeping well. So forgive me if I'm not as eloquent as I would like to be. <laughs> so we're going to like jump into the, the book and everything in just a little bit. But I, I'm just thinking, you know, this being your second novel and the first one being so wildly successful. I imagine even though there was hype around your, your first book when it came out, was this did this pub day kind of feel a little bit different to you? Yes, a lot about this felt very different. I think because I know so much going into this one, whereas there was really an ignorance is bliss factor <laughs> with Luckiest Girl and a little bit of naivete on my part, like, oh, it's all going to work out. It's going to be so great. And then when it did all work out and was so great, everyone was like, this doesn't happen. And I was like, no, no, no that's always what happens. And then, you start, and then you start to really um, realize just, just how rarely that happens and how and it did take a lot of work it wasn't like I just wrote the book and was like okay let's just let it see what it does Mm -hmm. I did put a lot of work in behind the scenes um but I definitely learned kind of the tricks of the trade like what helps the book in terms of visibility and sales and so then you put all this pressure on yourself like it's got to exactly replicate you know the course that luckiest girl took and you can never do that. You know, it's three years later. It's a different, you know, it's, it feels like it's the age of people finding books on social media, which wasn't really the, I mean, it was just starting when Luckiest Girl came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to just be excited to, to see what this journey is like um, and, you know, where people are going to be talking about the favorite sister three years later. Yeah, so you just touched on about a million things I want to unpack, but before I do... Um, <laughs> I tend to do that. <laughs> no, that's that's a good thing. You literally, like, without knowing the questions I had planned to ask, you like kind of preset yourself up a little bit later here perfectly, so good job on that. Um, <laughs> but before we get into all that, would you mind kind of giving our listeners maybe an introduction to The Favorite Sister, just so they have a reference for the, the book we'll be chatting about? Sure. So The Favorite Sister is about a group of five women who live in New York City and they compete on a reality TV show that is a cross between Real Housewives and Shark Tank. And someone mentioned I should also throw Survivor in there, which I really like because these women are survivalists. They Mm -hmm. will do anything to keep their spot on the show because once you're off the show, you're irrelevant. And they're on the show to promote their businesses. They're individually very successful women. Um, It's kind of what sets them apart from the Real Housewives. Um, Their lives are incredible and extraordinary, but they're they're not funded by men. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all independently wealthy and successful. And so there's the usual, you know, at times the women love each other, at times they hate each other, at times they love to hate each other. So there's a long history in the group, um, alliances that shift, and one of the castmates ends up dead. And so you know this from the very first page, but the you know the mystery is who killed her and why, and the and the why is just as shocking as the revelation of who is responsible for her murder. I love the way that you set up this story with you know it, it's so rare to see books where kind of the the major plot point that everything is going to be revolving around takes place right away. So when you mm-hmm. when you came up with the idea for this book and you were starting to kind of plot it out and think through and, you know, working with your editor and everything, did you always intend on having that sort of, like, Tarantino-y working backwards from the, from the action? <laughs> Ooh, I like a Tarantino reference. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but was that something that you always sort of, sort of planned on or, or did that just kind of come about as you were 
structuring it? No, that that was always the structure of it. And I think I was inspired by um, Donna Tartt's The Secret History, mm-hmm. which I, I mean, that's one of my top three all-time favorite books. And um, I loved, I mean, the, the first line, like, you can't beat it. Mm-hmm. And you know already that one of these, this group, the members of this group of friends is dead and it becomes a why done it, not a who done it. And that's really, that's my sweet spot. Like I'm so much more interested in the why of crime. Um, and I need to understand like what pushes a person to the, to violence, to homicidal violence. <laughs> um, and I like to work that out in my fiction. I think in a way it's like a therapeutic exercise for me. It helps me understand like, the human psyche and um, and helps me kind of put things into a box and tuck them away so I can fall asleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm going to I'm absolutely stealing the the loving the why done it as opposed to the who done it. That's the who done it. Yeah, that is perfect. Um, so after you know, luckiest girl alive, it had this huge popularity and after the fact you kind of revealed in this lending letter that a lot of it was was based on this this truth of your own life where you you were sexually assaulted as a teenager and i know that favorite sister deals with a lot of issues and barriers that women tend to face today especially in america when trying Mm -hmm. to become successful so were there aspects of this story that were also kind of true to your your personal story Yes, um, there was, there, I definitely, there's definitely parts of me and parts of my experience um, in this story, though maybe less identifiable than um, some of the, uh, you know, character characterizations in Luckiest Girl. Um, but yeah, I was thinking a lot about how um, successful and ambitious women are received. I was thinking a lot about how successful and ambitious women relate to one another. Um, I had some experience there because I've only ever really worked with women um, after, and and I went to an all-girls school from kindergarten to eighth grade, and then um, and then my first job out of college was at Cosmo, and then at Self Magazine. And so, um, for a good chunk of my life, I've been in my day to day with almost entirely women. So I felt I had something to say about the nature of sisterhood and how, you know, it's a, it's a concept that we sh- that we should aspire to, and that when when we are supporting each other, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but also looking at the times where we do mistreat each other and kind of trying to work out why that is, whether it's. It, are we innately like that? Is it society pitting us against each other? These were all things I was trying to work out in this in this one. Yeah, I, it's such a good point, and I always hear that my my wife talks about it all the time when she'll like have these conversations with all of her friends, and then she'll tell me about it afterwards. Like this, all like the sniping that goes back and forth. A lot of times when yeah. when her friends or like she when somebody in their group does something really incredible and successful it's almost like there's always this subtle backlash and then it mm-hmm. in preparing for you know this conversation she and I were talking about that and I realized like I can't, I don't think that happens very often with men I, I can't think of a conversation maybe just because I don't care enough about my friends successes or failures which says more about me <laughs> um but I mean I, I feel like you're right like there's something in society that it, it's almost like women 
who are successful either have to like apologize for it and, and that's absurd like you should be able to be successful and also praise other women for for what they're doing and i think like you said a lot of times it's almost like society doesn't let you do that yeah and i also think the traits that it takes to become successful are at odds with how we conceive of women to be which is nurturing and caretakers and polite and if you want to be really successful in life you have to put yourself first you have to have sharp elbows and men do this all the time and you know and they're not penalized for it and they get everything they want out of life um and i just think it's a it's a question of why why can't women be received the same way um and and i think we're starting to have that conversation and i think we're starting to realize these kind of um unconscious biases we have toward women who uh exhibit these types of traits um and i think recognizing it is the first step to uh refusing to kind of participate in in that anymore yeah and you very much kind of put your you know put yourself out there and you don't just sort of say this internally like you you wrote this incredible article for or this opinion piece uh for the new york times i want to get the exact headline right i want to be rich and i'm not sorry and I loved the entire idea of this story of being like, y- you lay out exactly the fact that like you wanted to do something, you wanted to live your life the way that you are and you had always aspired to this. And like, I just love the fact that you basically lay out, I wanted to do a thing, I wasn't surprised that I was successful because I'm truly talented. And I feel like more, I, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of women in my life that are that way, but I feel like it's, that's such an incredible message to show, not just, you know, women who may read the article, but I hope that mothers showed daughters what you wrote because it's so powerful. It's such a good message to show people. Yeah, and fathers show daughters too. I mean, I did mm-hmm. hear from a lot of men to um, who applauded the essay and said that you know this is this they hope to raise their daughters with this sort of boldness and fearlessness. So um, yeah, I think you know I think it shows a real shift in the culture um, that so many people there was such a you know kind of galvanizing response to the essay and something that that you you had in there uh, that I really loved is you know people might have seen the success of Luckiest Girl Alive and kind of assumed like oh you you caught lightning in a bottle and you know there's Mm -hmm. this wonderful book that for quote-unquote whatever reason has sort of like touched people's nerves and like really move them a little bit but I mean the truth is like you did something that I've had conversations with other authors who were successful right out the gate as well you did a ton of research into publishing a book and and making it successful so without giving any secrets because you did the work you deserve it Um, (laughs) but like what were some of the things you discovered when you were realizing how you wanted to create and promote and push out your first story I think the first thing I realized was my job wasn't done once I finished writing Luckiest Girl and even once I finished editing it. I think I had in my mind that I just, you know, delivered it to the publisher and then I got to sit back and put my feet up and just, you know, all the press would come rolling in because they would take care of it. And the truth is that... um, that yes, that you, when you get a book deal at a publisher, you are set up with your own publicist, and they do um, work very hard for you, and and um, and they do get you a certain amount of press. But even that amount that they can get you, it's never enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so hard with any 
medium to connect with readers or viewers, and you really have to be everywhere. Um, and so I, I quickly realized, like, oh, I want to pitch in and do my share, my fair share here. And also, I had made so many connections in the media over the years because I've been a magazine editor, and I had friends at various publications and websites, and got on to start their own podcast. And I just, I had so many connections, and it just seemed like it would be such a waste of all those years, all that hard work, all that networking not to use, not to lean on them. Um, and I do think it sets, it requests like that um, are better received when they have that personal touch. So whether it was a friend of a friend introducing me to the girls who run the skim, who then picked the book as a skim reads, which turned out to be like an it, incredibly helpful mm-hmm. in terms of pushing the needle on book sales. Like I was looking for like any vague connection <laughs> to anyone who may be able to help. And I would not rest until I had exhausted them all. I, th- I'm so glad that you, you said that because it makes so much sense. I feel like sometimes people will feel shy or like a- afraid to ask. And, and in my mind, like, that's how we started this podcast. And before we started recording, I, I kind of told you like, the reason we've had so many wonderful authors like yourself on the podcast is because like, I'm just like, I don't care if someone tells me no. So I'll just ask. And more often than not, people will, will listen to you if, if you're willing to just be honest with them and like, hey, I'm looking to promote like in your instance, you know, I'm looking to get the word out about this book. Is there something that, you know, we can do together? I just, I feel like a lot of times people don't realize that it, it can be the first step can literally just be opening your mouth and, and asking someone. Yeah, and I think, like, two things on that. I think, conversely, you can be afraid of someone saying no and do it anyway, mm-hmm. you know, like, because that's, that's how I approached it. I hate asking people for things. I dreaded it with Luckiest Girl. I dreaded it again with the favorite <laughs> sister. But I did it anyway, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's also something I want to make clear for people and for other, you know, aspiring young writers out there is, it's not that I'm just comfortable doing this. Like it's that I I was willing to do something that made me uncomfortable, which was to to do these asks with just like like I get like a PTSD like shiver when I think about it because it does make me so uncomfortable. And I and you know also to your point that like you're not going to get anything you ask. You're not going to get what you don't ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of goes back to the essay, you know, you're not going to become what, you do, what you're not willing to say out loud. Um, and I think that, that that was very much the spirit behind the essay of saying, like, I, I want to make my own money. I, you know, I want to live a certain life. You know, we need to be able, if these are goals, everyone has a different definition of success. Mm-hmm. If that's your definition of success, if that is something you're striving for, you're empowered to act it's only going to make it's only going to crystallize your goals and make it more likely that you'll reach them yeah i, I feel a really nice way to kind of like sum it up is there's a uh, another wildly popular author uh, his name's shay serrano and he write he wrote a book called basketball and other things it's all about the nba and these different things and the way he describes it is, is he just calls it shoot your shot he's like take your chance if you know you do not make 100% of the shots you do not take from a basketball standpoint and he's just like you know I wrote an absurd book about comics and the NBA and now I'm a bestseller because I tried to do it it's like that sometimes it's that first step of like even if you're afraid of something going after it I fully fully agree um 
Right. And so many people want to write books and never do it. So even just publishing a book is an incredible accomplishment that everybody, you know, everyone who has ever been a published author should be so incredibly proud of. Um, so in addition to doing all the, the market research and kind of realizing, okay, here are all the things I need to do to assure my book is successful. Did you also look at sort of the trends in the style of writing that you wanted to like what types of stories are selling and and things like that? Or was it more so focusing on how to push the story out once it's done? Um, I think there was definitely, you know, a combination of factors there. Um, You know, I, I started thinking about writing my own book um, just a year or two out of college. And so I was young and I hadn't really read a lot of contemporary fiction because I was, um, you know, in school, it was a lot of classic literature we were reading, and it was a lot of, a good amount of books by men, so mm-hmm. I, and I started discovering women crime writers, and I was like, why haven't I just, you know, been reading all of these books for <laughs> all these years? Like, they're just really um, resonating with me. I love the voice, um, I love the intrigue, I love that it's women getting to embrace their dark sides, and, and that very much spoke to me. So I knew I wanted to write a character like that. Um, and and then it was just a matter of reading what books were, you know, I started paying attention to the bestsellers list. I started reading the books that were on it. And I wasn't ever going to write a book just because it was a popular genre at mm-hmm. the time. I mean, at the time it was actually, this is probably like 13 years ago, or no, like 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked at women's magazines, so whenever I said I wanted to write a book, people would push me to writing a, like a, a romance-type mm-hmm. book. And I was just like, you know, that's just not, I just don't feel that's the right direction for me. I just, that's not the story that is calling to me. And so as I started to read more crime, and then as, as the, the genre has always been pop popular obviously but there was just suddenly some more like heightened awareness around women writing crime Mm -hmm. and I was like oh yes this is the perfect this feels right to me um so I think it was a little bit of right timing and luck that something a voice and a type of book that spoke to me personally was also starting to do well in the marketplace and so now that you've had a book come out and it be as successful as it was in writing your second one you know you have these i don't want to say expectations from publishers and 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 readers but it is they 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 see another book coming out from jessica knoll and they have an expectation now so while you were writing the second story did you feel any pressure to kind of put maybe like threads uh and aspects of what you thought made the first book work into this one or did you feel confident like no I'm, I'm gonna try and write a completely different story and people will understand and appreciate the fact that I'm a, a talented writer I, I feel like sometimes people can write a su- successful novel and then feel like they have to recreate that for their next story well there was definitely a lot of pressure for the second book and there were expectations this time around um, and also, you know, something someone pointed out last night at my event, which I hadn't considered was, you know, I had, I started writing Luckiest Girl, um, when I was 27 
and I'm 34 now. And so I had like 27 years of formulative experiences <laughs> to draw from to write Luckiest Girl and lots of time to think and marinate on that book. And then, you know, I kind of had like two years between the publication of that and turning in the, you know, the first draft of The Favorite Sister to kind of figure out what I was going to write about for the second book. So it was definitely a much more condensed time period. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, I I don't think I've really, um, I don't think, and no one had articulated that before. And I was like, oh, yes, this probably explains why so many authors struggle with the second book, because we just have so much less time with it, or we feel like you can always take as much time as you want, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, it, you feel that the the heat, and so it feels like you have less time. Yeah, no, that's such a good point because I've spoke with so many debut authors who they'll tell me, you know, they can they could be twenty five, they could be forty, and they'll say like, "This is the story I've been building to my entire life. This is yeah. this mm-hmm. this is the thing that you know I had nine different manuscripts come and go, and I took little pieces from each of them, and then once you have that first book." Everyone's like, all right, cool. That was great. Give me something else right now. Give me something else. How about a year? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I wrote the first book in a year, not thinking like that I was thinking on it. And I was, you know, I had all these aborted drafts for like three years before that, you know. So, yeah, definitely that was going on with The Favorite Sister. It always blows my mind when there's there's some authors out there that do. They'll have a book come out like every October. And I'm like, wow, 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 what is your life? I don't understand this. I know. Um, I know. I I, want to know their secret, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in regards to Luckiest Girl Alive, there is an adaptation of it coming out as a movie. And I know you're heavily involved. Is there Mm -hmm. any details you can give us about how that's going? Just that there's a... Uh, what they call a director's script, which means that uh, I wrote a great script and it's it's in it's it's presentable to a director. It's approved by the studio. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always stuff going on behind the scenes, and we had we did have someone sign on and then drop off, which was heartbreaking, and we had to kind of start from square one all over again. Um, but yeah, there's a great director reading it right now. Um, who And this person is showing a lot of interest. So we're, we're hopeful, we're excited. Um, and I just trust also that, you know, I have two great producers on this. I have Reese Witherspoon and Bruna, Bruna Papandria, mm-hmm. and they are telling me this is going to get made. Um, we absolutely adore this project and it, it is going to happen. And so I trust them. Um, and, and I'm excited, I'm excited to see what happens. That was some incredible verbal dancing, not letting a director's name slip up, by the way. That was a really <laughs> good job by you. I've had some practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we are a book podcast, so we always love asking, do you have any book recommendations that either books you've read recently that you loved or books that you've read over the past couple of years? Just when you have time to read, what, what's some of the stuff that gets you excited? Yeah, well, I'm always reading, and I'm always excited when, like, a great new thriller comes out. Um, That being said, I have to remind myself to branch out, because those are not the only books that I enjoy. (laughs) And I did recently read Curtis Bittenfield's You Think It, I'll Say It, and I absolutely adored it. And the thing I think I love the most about it is it paced like a thriller, even though it's not. It's a collection of short stories, and some of them 
are funny. Some of them are like heartbreaking. Um, some of them are really wry and they're all just kind of like a commentary on humanity, but each one has this kind of revelation in it. Like you think you, it's like you form a first impression about a character Mm -hmm. and then throughout the course of this short vignette, your expectations are completely subverted. And I think I just responded really well to that. It just constantly kept me on my feet and it's a collection of short stories. So that happened about 12 times throughout the book. Um, so I, I read that like late into the night the way I do a thriller. Um, so I absolutely love that. And I um, was fortunate enough to score an early copy of the new Ruth Ware, which comes out at the end of this month um, called The Death of Mrs. Westaway. And I've been reading that. Um, and it's perfect because it's like raining in New York and it's a little chilly today. And so after we hang up, I am crawling back into bed and hungering down the side. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, so the, our conversation today will be released on Saturday, and if for everyone listening to this, our Monday episode, literally two days after you, is my co-host having a conversation with Ruth Ware about that. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and it was one of those situations. I love Ruth Ware, but my co-host, Jill, like, adores her. So right. When, You're like, okay, Jill, you take this one. That was exactly <laughs> what it was. We will, a lot of these we'll do together, but some of them, like when I saw that you were coming on, I looked at her and she's like, you want to talk to Jessica by yourself? So I was like, kind of a little sweet. bit. And so when Ruth came on, she looked at me, she's like, do you want to have, do you want to be a part of this conversation? And I was like, I think I'll just step on your toes and like, I'll, I'll let you fangirl without me. So yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But, I mean, that sounds like a great working relationship. Though. Like you're so flipping out for <laughs> Well, I think it's because we both quietly will, will sass each other without getting in each other's face too much about it. So it, it <laughs> works out well for us. Um, okay. At the end of our podcast, we always do what we call the nerd nine. So these are just nine rapid fire questions, um, mainly because we like alliteration with naming things. Um, so lighthearted, not, don't put a lot of thought in this, but the first one is what's the last book you finished reading? Book I finished reading. I mean, I think it was, Cur- it was Curtin Sittenfield. Do you think it all say it? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? My favorite place to read is the couch, and I like having the TV on in the background on mute. I don't know why, um, but that just feels very cozy and comfortable to me. You and my wife would be great friends. I always ask her how <laughs> she does that. You're the first person other than hers ever. Like why? I know. My husband's like, why is the TV even on? You're not watching it. The sound's not on. I'm like, I don't know. I just... Maybe it feels like it's companionship, and I'm always reading something scary for me to feel like there's some another presence in the room. That is, that's fair. Okay. Um, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading? The book that made me fall in love with reading? Um, probably Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Morocco and Morocco is in the second book and I wanted to travel there for research purposes and then I couldn't make it work um but I'm dying to go I feel like you are in a situation where you could definitely throw your weight around with your publisher this next time around be like listen this is important (laughs) um do you have a favorite holiday Halloween are you a coffee person or a tea person coffee cats or dogs dogs I actually knew the answer to that one because I definitely creeped on your adorable <laughs> dog this morning. Oh my goodness. I miss her so much. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite food? I have lots of favorite foods. Um, <laughs> probably if I had to pick, well, I'm more of a sweet person. Mm-hmm. So I would 
say I love these chocolate chocolate bottomed coconut maroons from this grocery store around the corner from my house in LA called Vicente Foods. Um, they're absolutely like addictive. That sounds wonderful. And then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, one person alive or dead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is always so tough. I get, um, I get yelled at for this one all the time. I'm sorry. I know. Oh, my God. Because it's like I want to get, you know, oh, you know who I would pick in a heartbeat? Shirley Jackson. Oh, that is, I, I just listened, I never listened to it before, but I just listened to We Have Always Lived in the Castle, like, oh, last week, because it never listened to it, and now, oh, I'm so oh mad I waited. Oh my god, it's so creepy, and so good, and yes, I would absolutely love to take her out for a stiff drink, take her away from all of her children, <laughs> and her husband, who gave her no support, and we would have a wild girls night together <laughs> well and you, and you know she would have like some elaborate meal planned out because her descriptions of food are so ridiculously good like, that's true i would be well fed with shirley yeah okay the last question for you uh what do you hope readers take away from the favorite sister so um, the favorite sister is it's a thriller and there's a mystery and it's really exciting to read um but it also has some deeper messaging if you're open to it and if you're looking for it. So I hope that readers have a fun time with it. And then for the readers who want more, that they appreciate the cult, you know, the things I'm trying to say about the culture and uh, modern feminism. That's perfect. Jessica, I know your schedule is completely jam-packed, so I really appreciate you taking some time and joining us today. I had a blast, and congratulations again. Thank you so much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not, and then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else the importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.